Good morning, Orlando. Good Tuesday morning to you. Great to have you with us here right off the top at 6 o'clock as we update Orlando's news, weather, and traffic. Here for you on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning 10 are dead in a Toronto van attack, and services for two fallen deputies are being held today. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. And we'll talk about the Toronto van attack, tell you everything we know, and the arrest of the Waffle House killer up in Tennessee, and what those two have in common. Next on Good Morning Orlando. And good Tuesday morning at 6.01 on News Radio 1025. A van attack in Toronto is leaving several people dead. The official count that we have right now, uh, unfortunately, uh, we have uh, 10 people that have succumbed to their injuries and we have 15 that are in various hospitals across the city. The attack happened on a busy street yesterday afternoon. Over a dozen others were hurt in the attack. Police were able to arrest the driver who's been identified as 25-year-old Alec Manissian. Police Chief Mark Saunders said he was taken into custody without incident. So far, police haven't said what Manassian's motive might have been. One official did assure people, though, that the attack is not connected to national security. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. But as I'll discuss, that doesn't mean it wasn't terrorism. And I've been doing a lot of research on what we know about this guy. I'll share that here in a minute, Deb. Back here in the Sunshine State, the Gilchrist County Sheriff's Office says a funeral procession honoring two fallen deputies will be one of the largest Florida has ever seen. Funeral services for Sergeant Noel Ramirez and Deputy Taylor Lindsay will be held today in Bell, followed by the escort and burial in Bronson. Governor Rick Scott has ordered that U.S. and state of Florida flags be flown at half-staff with at the Sheriff's Office, County Courthouse, and City Hall in Trenton. Ramirez and Lindsay were shot and killed last Thursday at a Chinese restaurant in Trenton by a gunman who later killed himself. Yeah, that was John Hynode now, so he's dead. And am I correct? They still don't really know why he killed these two cops. No, because they found him dead in his car from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound, so they had no opportunity to even interview him and say, why did you do this? And no one else has been able to clue them in on what his motivation might have been. No. Um, Except potentially just a a hatred of the badge. Yeah, you bet. In the meantime, the suspect in that deadly attack at a Tennessee Waffle House is under arrest. The Metro Nashville Police Department said Travis Ranking was captured in a wooded area not far from where police say he shot and killed four people at a Waffle House on Sunday. A witness lives near the area where Ranking was captured. Police had been searching for Ranking for the past 34 hours. Nashville PD had also tweeted out a picture showing Ranking cuffed and being loaded into a squad car. Nashville Mayor David Briley thanked police for their hard work. You know what? Cops almost got this guy in a police chase about a week ago. Yeah. That, that's a new story, a new angle that has been revealed. We'll get into that here shortly, too. Yeah, just like the uh, Parkland shooter, this guy had a lot of interactions with law enforcement. At one point, had taken his weapons away, and uh, his father gave them back. Yeah, and that's controversial, and lots of mental illness red flags that seem to have been ignored. We've been there before, haven't we? Yeah, and the father could actually be facing charges now. Yeah, that's what ATF says. Yep. Because he had had his gun rights taken away, and if the father gave him back those guns... Including the AR-15 he used in Sunday's attack. That could be a federal violation. Absolutely. Sad news. Uh, President, Former President George H.W. Bush is in the intensive care unit at a Houston hospital. The 93-year-old Bush is being treated for an infection that spread to his blood. A statement from his spokesman says the 41st president was admitted to Houston Methodist Hospital Sunday morning and is said to be responding to treatment. 
Bush attended funeral services for his wife, Barbara, on Saturday. You know, they've been together for so long. I know this won't show up in any medical tests. Don't you suspect a broken heart is a factor? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, especially seeing him at, at the funeral services for his wife. Yes. It was just heartbreaking. A grant will help first responders who responded to the scene of the deadly mass shooting on Valentine's Day at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. The Department of Justice announced a $1 million grant to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to help pay salary and overtime expenses for the first responders. The city of Parkland, Broward County, and the state of Florida have been incurring millions of dollars in costs following the tragedy. The agencies have been securing crime scenes and operating command centers. The grant money will help offset some of those costs. And finally, the effort to collect and conserve memorial items and other artifacts related to the mass shooting at Orlando's Pulse nightclub is getting a financial boost. The Historical Society of Central Florida's One Orlando Collection has received an award of more than $30,000 from the Contingo Fund. The fund emerged from the Pulse uh, after the Pulse tragedy. It offers financial assistance to organizations working to heal, educate, and empower the LGBTQ and Latino individuals, immigrants, and people of color, as well as those working to end all forms of bigotry in Central Florida. WFLA News Time at 6.06. For a little bit more good news, read about a dog staying with a lost three-year-old overnight, then leading rescuers right to her. Man's best friend does it again. Absolutely. Now we know why. Get the details at 1025WFLA.com. The first hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. News, weather, and traffic for the best audience in talk radio. This is Good Morning Orlando on News Radio 1025. Good to have the Debmeister back with us after an extended weekend. Hope you had a good time. Lots of R&R. I did. I did. Had uh, My best friend's birthday was over the weekend, so I, I hosted her in Mount Dora. Wonderful. Went to Pisces Rising. Yeah. Good to have you with us, Deb Meister. As always, Deb with the news top and bottom of the hour. My co-host and partner here on the 50,000-watt front porch, best in the business. And the same could be said of the gang in the control room. Yaffe, our executive producer, and our screener, Stephanie, Taking your calls at 407-916-5400, or if you prefer the text line, it's always open, never busy, 23680, standard message and data rate supply. As we roll on for the Frontgate Realty Studio on a Tuesday morning, so glad you're with us. Just visit laurahasthebuyers.com. In a moment, have you thought about what the mass killings in Toronto and Tennessee have in common? Give that a little thought. I'll tell you here in a moment as we examine both in the tragic aftermath. Right now, though, stay tuned for your shot at winning your share of 880000 bucks in our Make Your Wallet Great Again texting contest. Listen for the new keyword of the hour coming right up, then text that word to 200-200. Yes, you could be our next $1,000 winner. And, of course, the update on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic is only two minutes away. So sit down, make yourself comfortable. Glad you're with us. We'll have all of this and more here in two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Officials in Canada are doing everything they can not to concede that this was a terrorist attack in Toronto. And this guy got a rented van following the New York City and Paris model of, uh, you know, ISIS types, etc. Don't have an indication yet that this guy is tied in with radical Islam. I'll tell you what we do know about the driver. Um, Ten dead, 15 injured. Just ran down the sidewalk at 40 miles an hour, knocking over everything and everyone in sight. And seemed by witnesses to just be, you know, not somebody who suffered a seizure or some health episode, lost his mind, or, 
you know, or, or his wits and couldn't control the vehicle, that he was targeting people. This is a terrorist attack. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be radical Islam. It doesn't have to be ISIS. It doesn't have to be al-Qaeda to be terrorism. Domestic terrorism is what we have referred to the Oklahoma City bombing that killed nearly 170 at the hands of Timothy McVeigh and his partner back in the 1990s. This was domestic terrorism up there. But the political implications of its terrorism spooks the population. Those in power can't keep us safe, etc., etc. And that's why they're twisting themselves in knots. What a horror show it was for those who saw what was happening yesterday. Here is one eyewitness. I seen a lady with her, her leg and, oh man, it's a gruesome scene. It's really bad out there. I couldn't believe what I seen, man. It was like, oh man, everybody, all these people on the streets getting hit one by one. Uh, and and it, was, it was just horrendous. And we may lose more. There are a number who are in critical condition. I asked you before the break to tell me what do the mass killings at the Waffle House in Tennessee outside Nashville have in common with the mass murder committed by this guy driving the van in Toronto yesterday. They have something in common that is very rare with these mass killings. Both the perpetrators are alive. They were taken alive. So we have a chance to get some real answers as opposed to forever wondering what this was all about. That's unusual. They managed to take him in both cases without having to blow him away to do it. And I and I salute law enforcement in both cases for that fact. It's better when we take them alive, but it is so rare when that happens. Many times, the perpetrators, the killers, kill themselves. But other times, law enforcement takes them out when maybe there was another way to get them. But at any rate, let's go back to Toronto. The driver of the van, now under arrest and alive and uninjured, was 25-year-old Alec Manassian. Now, Manassian is an Armenian name. Armenia is a former Soviet Union republic, now an independent nation over in the Eurasia area there. But what is interesting, you're going to say, aha, near Turkey, heavily Muslim country, near the Middle East, this guy's got to be a Muslim, got to be a radical Islamic terrorist. There are almost no Muslims in Armenia. It is almost exclusively a Christian nation. We so far have no indication that he's tied in ideologically with radical Islam. Not saying that we won't find out that he um, that he was, but we don't know that now. Not sure what the motive is. The guy lives north of Toronto. Um, those who've taken computer classes with him say he hardly talked to anybody. He was socially awkward. Um, law enforcement, a little bit of a debate on whether or not they have had this guy on their radar before. Just before he was taken alive by cops, he was yelling, kill me, kill me. So mental illness, oh, here we go again, may well be a factor. That is suspected to be a factor in the Waffle House killing. We know what's been going on all over the place, one after another. We have people who ought to be locked up long ago, walking among us, with the carnage resulting. No information regarding Manassian's ethnicity or religion has yet surfaced here. Um, he seemed, as I say, you know, they, they say he suffered ticks at times. Uh, he would shake hands or, 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 or tap his head in odd ways, so... 
This guy may have had a few screws loose, but he sure knew how to drive that van. He's also an app developer, but nothing sinister about the apps he has developed. Um, at any rate, that's about what we know at this particular point. Do you agree with me? No matter how they try to dance on the head of a pin to somehow say this is not terrorism for political reasons in Canada, this is terrorism. 407-916-5400, um, text line 23680. Just a couple of notes on Travis Reinking, now charged with four counts of murder in the wake of the um, massacre at the Waffle House in Antioch, Tennessee, a little bit southeast of the city of of Nashville this early on Sunday morning. Cops almost had him, apparently, just a few days ago. Nashville police saying that uh, Reinking had stolen a car from a dealership last week, and in the nearby town of Brentwood, where we lived once upon a time, beautiful town outside outside Nashville, began chasing after him. But because of all the vehicles on the road at that time, and the fact that that vehicle he was driving had GPS capability and could be tracked, they discontinued the pursuit. Police say they recovered the car at Reinking's apartment complex, but they did not make an arrest. They had no idea who the man was. They said it was unclear what the motive for the theft may have been. We know this guy's mentally unbalanced. I mean, he was... You know, he said he had a meeting with President Trump. They caught him hanging around a place where he shouldn't be on White House grounds. Uh, We know that he had his Illinois gun ownership rights revoked. He had lived in Illinois until recently um, and taken away after the White House incident and um, and and given to the father who then gave Ryan King the guns, including the AR-15 that he used at the Waffle House. I can't believe that. Isn't that incredible? It's just unbelievable. The feds say that could be a violation of federal law to transfer weapons knowingly to a person who has had gun rights taken away. Yeah, I think he should be arrested for it. Jeez, I'm telling you. But isn't it interesting, Yaffe, that the common thread here is, I mean, the guy also thought he was being stalked by uh, Taylor Swift. I mean, the guy is crazy. It's another one of these people for whom we need to reopen and reestablish mental institutions, psychiatric hospitals, to keep these people from being a danger to themselves, but more so to civilized society. Uh, I talked about that yesterday. Isn't it interesting that we have two of these mass killings and we have the killers alive, which is the exception rather than the rule? And and ultimately, yeah. I think that's going to be very good. Yeah, although it seems like it's happening more where we catch them alive because Parkland was another one. We that's caught them alive. That Charleston, is true. that was another one. That's true. Caught there are alive. exceptions. So, I mean, yep. yeah, you're exactly right, though. Yep. Hey, let's go to uh, Bertha. Good morning from DeLand. How are you, darling? Hi, baby. You know, this is, uh, this is uh, dear to my heart. I've been telling you before, these cops are not trained properly, okay? It's not their fault. They are training these cops how to shoot and kill. As I told you... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yesterday they didn't do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yesterday is an example in Toronto and over the weekend and yesterday the arrest of the Waffle House killer. I mean, you know, you can't indict all law enforcement like that, Bertha. Yes, you're right, bud. That's an example that should be all over. I agree. I applaud them. Because, like I told you, I, I, my brother was a sharpshooter. 
and, and I was telling Seb that when he was undercover watching three guys holding up the token booth, one turned around with a gun when he was talking to a officer in uniform, but my brother knew what they were doing. He was undercover. They turned around with a gun. My brother drew his gun and shot all three and didn't even kill them because he knew where to shoot them. And and you remember last year when the when the um the, the in New York when they had the bomber and the guy didn't kill him. You remember? Yeah, I do. Okay, that's because they know what they're doing. But I got to tell you, Bertha, in defending the cops, if they're facing imminent deadly force from one of these people, they're going to take them out, and they should do that. But when it's possible to avoid that scenario, it should be done as the point you are raising. Deborah Roberts alongside me right now to get everybody up to date on the big story here, that deadly van attack in Toronto. Deb? Where at least 10 people are dead after a man in a rental van ran down people on one of the busiest streets in Canada. More than a dozen others were hurt in the attack on Toronto's Young Street yesterday afternoon. But Minister of Public Safety Ralph Goodell says there's no national security threat. The, uh, the events that happened on the street behind us are horrendous but they do not appear to be connected in any way to national security. Police arrested the 25-year-old suspected driver, but they haven't said what his motive might have been. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. A baby is safe in St. Petersburg after the car he was strapped in was stolen from an apartment complex around noon on Monday. A man was loading his child into a car and forgot his wallet, he went back in and left the car running, and the child in the, child in the car seat, an eight-month-old boy. And in that meantime, somebody came and stole the car. Yeah, Yolanda Fernandez with the St. Pete Police says, thankfully, the thief dropped off the child unharmed minutes later in another parking lot a few miles away, and he was found in the shade of a tree, but the thief is still on the loose. The stolen car, a Toyota Camry, was found abandoned. Well, he's a thief, but at least he's got a heart and that <laughs> kid's alive. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just another reminder. It seems like it's just a couple of seconds. You're going to run into the store or run back into the house, but you don't know who's watching. Don't do it. And uh, closer to home, a man accused of stealing a Rolex watch from the Florida Mall as fireworks were set off as a distraction is now under arrest. The Orange County Sheriff's Office says that 22-year-old Kevin Triana was taken into custody Sunday near a mall in Greenville, South Carolina. Deputies are still looking for the person who ignited the fireworks at the Florida Mall on April 8th that caused a panic in which 11 people were injured. They say Triana pawned the watch in South Florida where he suspected in two similar shopping mall robberies. And you can get these stories and more at 1025wfla.com. The first hour of Good Morning Orlando continues now with Gina Cervetti and the Bloomberg Business Report. Right, Deb, let's bring her in live from New York City in the Bloomberg Newsroom. Good morning to you, Gina. Good morning, bud. Lots going on. Big corporate earnings reports, economic data coming in. How about a check of the stock futures as we look ahead to today's trading and a look back on yesterday's session. Sure. Well, we have the stock future signaling a higher Wall Street open as we watch for reports today on home prices, new home sales, and consumer confidence. And as you point out, a lot of companies reporting their earnings today, some big ones, United Technologies, Coca-Cola, Caterpillar, 3M, Verizon. We also hear from Wynn Resorts. We're seeing crude oil right now on the rise, up about a half a percent, almost to $69 a barrel amid expectations for a decline in U.S. stock. 
stockpiles. And we had tech companies weighing on the market yesterday, but the S&P 500 closed largely flat at 2670. The Dow was down about 14 points. We'll also call that little changed, closing at 24,449. The Nasdaq has a lot of tech companies. It was down about 18 points or a quarter percent to 71.29. And the Bloomberg Orlando Index bucked the trend. It rose about four-tenths of a percent. And in the Bloomberg Business uh, Report this morning, quite a bit of Google and Facebook news you're about to bring us. Let's start with Google and the performance of their parent company. Mm -hmm. That's Alphabet. First quarter results show that Alphabet is embarking on a new spending binge to chase its biggest rivals. Google's parents saw the strongest sales growth in almost four years. Revenue topped estimates. Profits did, too. But the company also spent at historic levels, almost all of which went to newer cloud and consumer device businesses that lag behind the leaders, Amazon and Apple. Now let's talk Facebook here. We remember Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and the CEO, being grilled um, before Congress over two days recently about big problems related to privacy with Facebook and objectionable content. And he promised to do something about the bad content. Now we know what the plan is, right? That's right. For the first time now, Facebook is publishing its specific rules for taking down content once it's reported to the social network's moderators. This is a 27-page document. It gives Facebook's definitions of hate speech, violent threats, sexual exploitation, and more. And as you point out, this release comes just days after Mark Zuckerberg testified before Congress about the company's practices. Right, and Facebook is apologizing for the privacy scandal. Zuckerberg's done that profusely and personally. Um, Google's parent, Alphabet, pushing to roll back a stringent privacy law, though. What's up here? Yes, this is the most comprehensive biometric privacy law in the country. Google's lobbyists have been drafting measures to defang an Illinois law seen as the nation's most rigorous on consumer privacy. Their ambition at Alphabet to strip language that regulates the use of fingerprints, iris scans, and facial recognition technology and insert a loophole for companies that embrace the use of these biometrics. And finally, before you go, let's put the spotlight on that uh, highly promoted, super high-tech iPhone 10. How's it doing, and what are the problems? Well, if you're wondering if demand for the relatively pricey iPhone 10 has fizzled, you may want to check the sales figures from the company's main manufacturers. Apple's five largest device assemblers reported a sharp slowdown in monthly sales after peaking at the end of last year, suggesting demand for the high-end device may have faded just a quarter after its release. Most interesting, as always, the one and only Gina Cervetti with the Bloomberg Business Report for New York City Live every morning. And good morning, Orlando, for you at 635. Thanks again, Gina. Catch you tomorrow morning, as always. Thank you, bud. All See right. you then. You bet. Coming up here, we're going to go live to our News Radio 1025 National Correspondent, Michael Bauer, on the French president uh, being honored in Washington with a state dinner tonight. Lots of issues between the two countries. Great relationship, but... Lots dividing them that need to get resolved. And also, um, Trump's pick for Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. It looks like he was going to go down on the Senate, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, but suddenly, surprise, he made it. And we'll have updates from Michael uh, on both big stories here in just a moment, along with an update that I'll bring you on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in only two minutes. So stick around if you can here on News Radio 1025 WFL. 
As we've been telling you, President Trump will be hosting the French President Macron at the White House today and honoring him tonight with a state dinner. And also, we've been watching the drama surrounding Trump's pick for Secretary of State, CIA Director Mike Pompeo, and um, something of a last-minute surprise within the Senate Foreign Relations Committee following these two big stories. News Radio 1025 National Correspondent Michael Bauer joining me live. Good morning to you, Michael. Always great having you on. Good morning, Orlando. And good morning to you. Happy Tuesday. Yes, indeed. So far... Tuesday's treating us well. But you never know. The day could turn on any one of us at any time. But it looks pretty bright in Washington, D.C. Are all smiles now. The the president and, uh, and Melania welcoming the French President Macron and his wife to Washington, D.C. Give us the very latest lay of the land and what's coming today. Well, uh, yesterday you had the uh, the tour of Mount Vernon and a dinner therein, and uh, it seems as though the two leaders discussed the U.S. economy, uh, preparation for the U.S. midterm elections, and as I kind of expect almost every discussion with President Trump to come back to at some point, the president's polls. Uh, so those that was kind of the setup meeting, at least for the dinner last night. You're going to see the official introduction coming up this morning uh, on the South Lawn, both leaders taking questions there as well, and then the state dinner tonight. But in between those events, but that's where things are going to get a little iffy here, and the, the, the diplomacy is going to have to kick off for both parties. You're going to have uh, in, in, in President Trump, somebody who's going to be open to hearing Macron's pitch to whether or not the president should be staying in the Iran deal, right. whether or not that's a good idea. That's going to be a big conversation. How long or if the U.S. troops are going to be staying in Syria, which is a big deal for France right now as well. And then finally, one of the big topics that they have to discuss are these tariffs that are being applied to the European Union, because that has a big effect on France, President Trump initially saying that he was going to exclude France from there. They were going to have an exemption, and obviously uh, President Macron very interested in seeing if that is still going to continue. Yeah, they seem to have great personal vibes, but there are some serious issues where they are on uh, other, you know, opposite sides of the fence. Let's go to Mike Pompeo, the eminently qualified CIA director, Trump's pick to be Secretary of State after he uh, dismissed uh, Rex Tillerson from that key post. Uh, a Senate Foreign Relations Committee vote looked like uh, that Pompeo was going to go down, which would never have happened to a Secretary of State pick. Um, but it didn't go that way. What can you tell us? There were some changes. There was drama. There was who doesn't like drama, bud, at the very end of these kinds of things, right? So you had minutes before the, mini, the committee convened, uh, Senator Rand Paul bowed to pressure, saying that he was going to support, and, and, and more importantly, not, not just bowing to pressure, sat down and talked with Director Pompeo, right. sat down and talked to President Trump. And one of his bigger concerns about all that, as we know, uh, his, his big-time opponent of, of interventionist foreign policy, Rand Paul, is, uh, he sat down and talked to them and said, listen, I, I have concerns about what you guys think about our going into Iraq and Afghanistan, and one of the big concerns about Director Pompeo is that maybe he's a war hawk, maybe he's somebody in favor of those kinds of things. After having a discussion, he said, and this was the quote from, uh, from Rand Paul, after calling continuously for weeks for Director Pompeo to support President Trump that Iraq was a mistake, uh, it's time to leave Afghanistan today. I have received confirmation that Pompeo agrees with President Trump. And that apparently is all Rand Paul needed to hear. I mean, you know, we both know that Pompeo's backing of uh, U.S. taking an aggressive posture in Iran and North Korea have kind of had him come off as this hawkish sort of a guy. Apparently, Rand Paul doesn't care about that element of it and cares about the support of President Trump. Yeah, quite a sound cut from Rand Paul. We'll play in the next segment. Um, before you go, Pompeo now moves to consideration by the full U.S. Senate. 
from where I sit, it looks like they have the votes to confirm him. Yeah, it doesn't look like this part is going to be a problem. Even if they had a problem with yesterday's support, it did look like that you know, there was going to be a point where Mitch McConnell was going to be able to take this to the floor and, and have a decision made, have a vote made there, and there wouldn't be any issue there. It still could be tight, but at the end of the day here, this is going to be the part that's the big debate. This is where you're going to hear out the debates and the pros and cons of Pompeo. But at the end of it all, Pompeo, I think, gets a pass through here, and we're looking at the next Secretary of State. We'll watch for it, and we thank you. Michael Bauer, News Radio 1025, National Correspondent on two big, big stories. We wanted to make sure you had the very latest, and none better to do that than Michael. Thank you so much. Catch you next time around, my friend. You got it. Have a great rest of your morning. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. So as promised, let's listen to Rand Paul, the Kentucky senator now on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, explaining how he was opposed to Mike Pompeo for Secretary of State because, among other things, he had voted for the Iraq War and seemed too hawkish on on war ventures overseas in general, and he feared Pompeo would be in President Trump's ear if he became Secretary of State, persuading him to pursue foreign wars instead of pulling out of these wars as the president has promised to do. Well, now Rand Paul says he's become convinced that that will not happen, that in repeated talks with Pompeo, He's admitted the Iraq war was a mistake, and it was a mistake for him to have supported it so many years ago, and that he will be on the same page in these matters with the president. What I hear from the president is no one's changing his mind. Many of these wars were ill-advised, and his goal is really to get us out of many of these wars. That's a, that's a goal I share. And so I actually want Trump to be Trump. I want people around him who actually will give him the advice and not try to persuade him that perpetual war is the answer to things. And so with all that being said, I have changed my mind. I have, I've decided to go ahead and vote for Director Pompeo because uh, he's assured me that he's learned the lesson. Rand Paul, very thoughtful commentary there. There is no question that Pompeo is eminently qualified. I mean, this guy graduated first at his class in West Point, for crying out loud. He's been terrific in Congress. He's been terrific as CIA director. He got the ball rolling toward what hopefully will be a summit between Trump and the North Korean dictator, leading to the denuclearization of that rogue nation. I mean, th this guy's about as good as it gets and highly qualified. And uh, I'm glad that Rand Paul, and he's very thoughtful and honest, you know. He's not really political, and I like that about him. I admire him. I consider Rand Paul, whether I agree with him or not, to be a statesman and a guy who really thinks before he speaks or before he casts a vote, Yaffe. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that, although I am very surprised he changed his mind. I did not expect it. Usually when he... Has his mind set on something like this, he'll vote He'll vote that way. But I guess Trump, because I know he met with Trump and Pompeo yesterday, right. and I guess they convinced him, which is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, all the opposition to Pompeo is it's strictly, as I said yesterday, this is Trump derangement yeah, syndrome by is. the Democrats. There's no question about it. Obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. Well, it's just like you said, you can't make the argument that he's not qualified. Oh, nobody can. And nobody can and, make and that there, argument. And there are, there are no personal skeletons in the closet? Yeah, None. no. Except he was against gay marriage, so Cory Booker was very upset. So but other what? than that. So what? He's <laughs> entitled to that said. personal opinion. <laughs> of course he is. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. And um looks like he's going to sail now through the um the the main committee and become the next Secretary of State. And that is the way it should be. There has never been a Secretary of State pick 
rejected by the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And to think that you would have one so eminently qualified and really with no skeletons in his own personal closet go down at the committee would have been completely outrageous. So there we go. Top of the hour, Deborah Roberts, my co-host, checking in right now from the newsroom. She's been keeping an eye on some very big stories, and of course, none bigger than that van attack that killed 10 people up in Toronto, Canada. And uh, Florida gas prices have hit a three-year high, even though I saw them get down a couple of pennies and the stations I pass coming into work. Still pretty pricey. Deborah Roberts next on Good Morning Orlando for the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. And good morning to you on a Tuesday at 6.59. Good morning, Orlando. Top of the morning to you here on a Tuesday at 7 o'clock on a beautiful day as we update Orlando's news, weather, and traffic on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning, 10 are dead in a Toronto van attack and Florida gas prices have hit a three-year high. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. And I'm about to pose a question no one else seems to have the courage to ask. How long are we taxpayers supposed to support the Puerto Rican hurricane victims in Central Florida? Next on Good Morning Orlando. And good Tuesday morning at 7.03 on News Radio 1025. At least 10 people are dead after a man drove a rental van 30 to 40 miles an hour on a Toronto sidewalk. More than a dozen others were injured. Witnesses say it looked like the man targeted people walking along busy Young Street yesterday afternoon. Acting Chief uh, Peter Yen said all of their resources were mobilized to respond to the attack. Toronto Police Service has mobilized all available resources. And I can assure the public all our available resources have been brought in to address this tragic situation and to investigate this situation. Police arrested the 25-year-old driver. The man reportedly yelled at officers to kill him, but Toronto's police chief says he was arrested without incident. There's no word on the driver's motive. One official, however, assured people the attack is not connected to national security. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. The Department of Homeland Security is telling members of the so-called immigrant caravan moving to the U.S. border not to enter the U.S., Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen said in a statement that the group of mostly Central American immigrants will be prosecuted if they cross the border. Nielsen said those seeking asylum could be detained while their claims go through the courts, and if they don't have a valid claim for asylum, they will be deported. In a story Bud is getting ready to talk about next, Governor Rick Scott is visiting Puerto Rico for the fifth time since Hurricane Maria devastated the island last year. Governor Scott is meeting with emergency management officials, Puerto Rican leaders, and American Red Cross volunteers. The island was hit hard by the storm, and many people there are still struggling. Thousands of evacuees are now living in Central and South Florida, and their vote could influence Florida's U.S. Senate race, in which Rick Scott is a candidate. International benchmark oil prices are up for the sixth day in a row. Brent crude prices top $75 a barrel today amid possible U.S. sanctions against Iran. OPEC production cuts are also driving up the price. It's up more than 20% since just February. West Texas crude was just at, at uh, just under rather $69 a barrel. In the meantime, Florida gas prices are now higher than they've been in more than three years. Dan McTeague of FloridaGasPrices.com says the average price of gas right now in the Sunshine State is 273 which is a quarter higher than a year ago. I think for a lot of people, this extra 25 cents a gallon uh, may be a bit of a sticker shock, uh, but it, it's really a reflection of what's happening with crude uh, prices, which have gone up uh, about 18, almost 19 bucks a barrel from this time last year. 
The highest gas prices in Florida can be found in the West Palm Beach and Boca Raton areas, while the least expensive, thankfully, are in Jacksonville, Punta Gorda, and right here in Orlando. And McTeague says we haven't even started the summer driving season yet. So go ahead and ask me. Well, because you seem to be like the the gas. I, I no, I'm I'm your gas buddy. There's gas <laughs> buddy are. and gas bud. <laughs> okay. I'm gas bud man. Okay. Okay. I pass seven stations on the way to work every morning, so I get a look. You know, they're all posted out there. Down seven cents at a couple of them on 1792 in the Castleberry Maitland area to 262 a gallon, the Which, best I've seen. That, that is. That's awesome because the statewide average is 273. That's why you have Gas Bud Man. Gas, gas Bud Man. Okay. <laughs> you have so many hats, Bud Man. And finally. Oh, so much gas. So much gas. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. <laughs> and finally, a kangaroo is dead. After visitors at a Chinese zoo threw rocks at it to make it hop. Oh, come on. The Fuzzu Zoo says the 12-year-old female kangaroo was pelted with stones, injuring its foot and causing internal bleeding. Now, the incident happened back in February, but the details were only now made public. Another kangaroo, a 5-year-old male, was hit with a brick but survived. The dead kangaroo's body will reportedly be preserved for display. Who would do that? You know... Incredible. At least it isn't us. Yeah. At least it isn't the U.S. At least it isn't Florida. Yeah, but it's still. It's awful. It is. WFLA News Time at 707. Here's some more good news, though. If you want to know how you can make your wallet great again, all you have to do to get the details is visit 1025WFLA.com. The second hour of Good Morning Orlando with Gas Budman starts now. <laughs> News, weather, and traffic for the best audience in talk radio. This is Good Morning Orlando on News Radio 1025. All right, I want to know whether you think it is fair for me to ask how long are we going to continue to extend the FEMA deadline? And subsidize hurricane victims, hold up in hotels, those who fled Puerto Rico when the big storms hit last summer and are living in hotels on the taxpayer dollar. How long is that supposed to continue? Because it's been going on now for seven months, and it may go on for quite a bit longer. I hope I don't come off as cruel and heartless. I'm not a man who lacks compassion But I try to do what I can with the bully pulpit I have to be something of a good steward with taxpayer dollars. And so I think it's a fair question to ask. There are politics involved here, by the way. And uh, we'll talk it over with you and see what you think. You can weigh in right now, uh, 407-916-5400, text line 23680, where standard message and data rates apply. And um, Deb was talking about it a moment ago, so stay tuned right now for your shot at winning your share of $880,000 in cold cash in our Make Your Wallet Great Again texting contest. Listen for the new keyword of the hour. It's coming up in seconds. Then text that word right away to 200-200. And yes, you could be our next $1,000 winner like the recent $1,000 winner we had in Volusia County. Why not you? The texting contest coming up. And an update as well on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in two minutes for you on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Last hurricane season was an absolute nightmare. We covered Irma wall to wall here for 36 straight hours on WFLA. Hurricane Maria was the ultimate nightmare in the Caribbean, scoring a direct hit nearly as a Category 5 
on the island of Puerto Rico, home to about 4 million American citizens in that territory island nation. A lot of folks lost everything. They were wiped out. It was a horrendous situation. And, of course, as American citizens, they are allowed to travel freely to the mainland here. Many of them came to central Florida because they had family and friends here. We have a wonderful, growing, dynamic Puerto Rican community here. And uh, now I can tell you that seven months after Hurricane Maria, there are in the state of Florida about a 1,000 families continuing to receive our taxpayer dollars through FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency's Transitional Housing Program, where they put them up in hotels. Affordable housing, hard to come by for everybody in Central Florida right now, and certainly for those who left the island because they lost their homes and their livelihood and everything with that horrendous Hurricane Maria. About 600 of those families are right here in the Central Florida area. A lot of them in Osceola County, down around 192, South Orange County, Osceola County in particular, okay? And um, they've been on this FEMA assistance, okay, getting their hotel rooms paid for ever since they came here. And they were about to get evicted. And there was a big hue and cry. And the federal government decided that they would extend this aid to these Hurricane Maria evacuees through the 14th of May. But there is a request on the table to take it all the way to June 30th to get the kids who are in school of these families through the school year. And I'm beginning to wonder, how long is this going to go on? And how long should we taxpayers be subsidizing these families? I don't want to seem cruel and heartless, but it's our taxpayer money. And and a lot of money has been spent on this. And I'm getting the idea, and there are politics at work here because the Puerto Rican vote's important. I get the idea that there are forces at work to make this completely open-ended. So you can stay in a hotel room. It's not a great situation. I get it. But in perpetuity, essentially, on the American taxpayer. And I just want to know whether there ought to be a limit here. 407-916-5400. More angles on this coming up. Um, the text line 23680, standard message and data rate supply. Here is Democrat Senator Bill Nelson running for re-election, of course, against Rick Scott. And, and the question, Senator... How long are taxpayers supposed to support Puerto Ricans with FEMA dollars in these hotel rooms in Central Florida? Until people can get on their feet economically, where they can have a job and they can provide for their own families here, or in the alternative, as so many want to do, to return to the island. It's been seven months. We're now talking about going through the 30th of June. If he gets his way, and others as well, the governor of Puerto Rico wants that. That's nine months after Hurricane Maria. That seems to me to be a long time on the issue of getting a job. Universal has 3,000 job openings. Disney just advertised 3,500 open jobs of all kinds, including bonuses, when you sign on with a mouse. Again, I'm not trying to sound like a cruel-hearted cold-hearted conservative. Nobody else will ask this question. It's politically incorrect. Nobody wants to offend Puerto Ricans, particularly those who have 
political aspirations now because that vote is so important. But is that a fair question for me to ask? How long are we going to keep doing this? Before these folks either go back to the island or find a way to make it on their own. What's the answer to that question? And do you think it is a fair question or not? I'm willing to have you put me in my place if you disagree. Nobody else has the courage to ask that question, and there's a lot of taxpayer money going toward this FEMA program. 407-916-5400, tell me what you think. Yeah, before I go to the phones and the text lines, which are on fire, is it a fair question to ask after seven months how long through FEMA should taxpayers continue to subsidize these hurricane refugees from Puerto Rico hold up in hotels here in Central Florida by the hundreds? Well, believe it or not, Bud, I do think it's a fair question. I don't think you're some heartless, um, you know, conservative. I don't or know whatever. where the incentive is to get out there and stand on your own two feet. At some point, I think there needs to be one. There are jobs to be had, as as I just reported here, at two of our biggest theme parks by the thousands right now. Yeah, low-paying jobs, though, Whatever, what Whatever their jobs. And some of them are better than others. It depends on what your qualifications are. Let me go to the phones. Lynette, you're on. Good morning from Orlando. Lynette, go ahead. Can you hear me? All right, I got to put you on hold right now and go to somebody else. See if you can straighten that call out for me. I'd like to take it, Stephanie. JR, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. And you? Oh, I'm doing great. I, a couple things. I, uh, to your question, no, it's not an unfair question. It's, it's very, uh, a very poignant question, I think, because if you recall when the hurricane hit, um, Mr. Trump's response was lambasted because the Puerto Rican people and many uh, senators here, including Bill Nelson, were very vocal about this because they saw a place to uh, a field full of hay that they could make. Uh, and what they did was they, they said that the response was poor and that we need to do more for the Puerto Rican people. And uh, then when they got over here, the majority of the people here are staying in hotels, yes, and there are jobs, yes, but they're going to. They, they've already said it. I heard Bill Nelson say it before. Was that well? The jobs that are here are uh, not jobs that can sustain a family without assistance because they're not living wage jobs. That's yeah. the key buzzword there. Yeah. Well, and I yes, he just mentioned it. He did. He, he's okay. It's not that they're low wages. It's that well. They want to push. This is a okay. Is but a, listen, you're taking all my time, and I love you, Jr. But how long should we keep on subsidizing these well, good folks? Well, actually, it shouldn't have been done in the first place. Thank you. Let's go back to Lynette in Orlando. Go ahead, Lynette. Yes. Hi. Good morning, Bud. Listen, these people came over here. Okay, the country has helped them. It's time for them to get up and go to work. We're in this country, and we're trying to do it ourselves. We've got people that live in the street every day, and they're getting no assistance from no one. Thank you very much. Appreciate that perspective. Text line on fire as well, Yaffe. Sort it out. Uh, yeah, one person says temporary means temporary. That means it's this can't go on forever. Uh, another person said, uh, well, tell Bud the people from Puerto Rico can't leave until they vote Democrat in the November midterms. Oh, geez, that's or right. Or even the 2020 <laughs> presidential election. So there you go. There you are. Yeah. Good tongue-in-cheek commentary there. All right. Listen, I'm sorry. 
If you're going to do this job, you've got to have the courage to ask the tough questions nobody else has the guts to ask. And I appreciate you um, responding to what I put out there this morning for your consideration and others as well. News at the bottom of the hour with my co-host Deborah Roberts. That terrible situation with a van attack up in Toronto. We got 10 people dead there and many, many questions yet to be answered. And Alexander Hamilton in the news. And he's going to be awarded an honorary degree. Good morning, Orlando, at 7.30. Well, I'm watching the news in the middle of yesterday afternoon, and all of a sudden, it broke in Toronto. This horrendous van attack. The big story of the morning, Deb. What do you have as the latest? Well, Lisa, thankfully, police in Toronto have arrested a man accused of killing at least 10 people by driving a van down the sidewalk along one of the busiest streets in Canada. There's no word on a possible motive for the 25-year-old driver. Witnesses say it looked like he was trying to run down people as he drove 35 to 40 miles an hour on the sidewalk for at least a mile. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. A founding father is finally going to get his law degree. This is out the Alexander headline that yes, you gave me. Yes, Alexander Hamilton. Actually, the degree Albany Law School will award to Alexander Hamilton is honorary. The oldest law school in the state of New York will present the degree to Hamilton's fifth great-grandson at the school's graduation ceremony next month. Douglas Hamilton says his illustrious ancestor never graduated from college and taught himself the law. The president of Albany Law School says Hamilton's ties to the area are significant. She notes Hamilton wrote his first Federalist paper number one while traveling between New York's state capital and New York City. He was one of the most brilliant founding fathers, our first secretary of the Treasury, you know, now all these years later, he's got a Broadway show yeah. and he's got a college degree. He's doing all right. He's doing okay for himself. <laughs> he is. He's doing all right. Someone who could use a little bit of uh, that luck and that law is one airline passenger. Really? Yes, because an apple and an honest mistake have saddled one Delta passenger with a $500 fine and a big bureaucratic headache. Tell us more. Crystal Tadlock got off a plane last week in Minneapolis after an eight-and-a-half-hour flight from Paris. She was supposed to catch a connecting flight home to Denver, so she decided to save an apple she'd been given as part of the in-flight meal service. Right? right. Where's the problem? Not, Not so far. But before her next flight, she had to go through customs, where she was stopped by a customs and border protection agent and by your jaw dropping. That tells me because anyone who's ever traveled internationally, you may know what came next. Apples and most forms of fresh produce, of course, are typically a customs violation and need to be declared on a passenger's customs form. So they're thinking that she had this from Paris where she had gotten it actually when she was the in flight. the air stateside. Exactly. Okay. And Tadlock tried to explain that the apple was clearly from Delta because it was in a Delta-branded clear bag. Pretty good hint. Along with some silverware from the flight. And they didn't want to hear any of that, right? <laughs> she said the agent wasn't convinced and told her there was no way to know whether the apple that came from somewhere else in France instead. She even offered to throw the apple away. But the agent said no. She was taken to a back room at the airport and served penalty papers that stated she had 20 days to pay the fine. The agent even asked her, so, was your flight to Paris expensive? Because it's about to get a whole lot more expensive. Wow. When she contacted Delta about the incident, they were kind enough to respond by tweeting the agricultural rules and regulations. That's so nice. (laughs) She's still stuck 
for the $500 and also had her global entry status revoked. And she had to pay $160 because that's a Customs and Border Protection program that allows U.S. citizens to go through an expedited process. Man, these airlines, there's no end to the ways they can just step in it in terms of public relations. Yes, I tell you. Ugh. Don't hand out apples. She was yes. Don't hand out apples. I hand agree. out a granola bar or something. Something like that. All right. And finally, a former <laughs> Texas juvenile detention center is uh, uh, going to prison for 50 years. This is a story we had done for stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas. Gilberto Escamilla was sentenced Friday after being convinc- uh, convicted rather, of hiding the fact he'd been billing fajitas to the county he was getting from a vendor. Oh, geez. Escamilla would then sell the food elsewhere, pocketing the cash. The ruse cost the county more than $1.2 million tax dollars until his scam was detected last year after a nine-year run. Escamilla told the court the scheme just got way out of control. Cameron County prosecutors said the 50-year sentence should send a strong message about theft by public servants, even if it's just a fajita. And, and, and where he's going, I don't think he's going to be having fajitas <laughs> no, he's not. for the next half century. Fajitas aren't on the menu at the prison. No, yeah. they're not. Yeah, no. My goodness, what a racket. <laughs> what a story. Thank you, Deb. You're welcome. Steph, I've been bragging about these great two prizes we're giving away to today's Sound Judgment Game winner. Our contestants are ready to go. What are those prizes again? So today, bud, we have a fabulous family four-pack of tickets to see Disney on Ice, Dare to Dream at the Amway Center happening May 11th to the 13th. Visit 1025WFLA.com, keyword events, for more info on that. And we also have a copy of the brand-new Trump Policy Board Game. Play Trump Policy with your family, play it with your friends, and very soon you'll know whether they are your friends. Trump Policy gives everyone a chance to voice their opinion on key issues of the day and stand up for the kind of America they want. The new Trump Policy Game, a $40 value, is available at trumppolicy.net. All right, so we got a twofer in the prize closet this morning. Steph's really feeling generous. We're ready to go, and if you want in to try to play and win, wait for a wrong answer, opening up a line for you to call quickly at 407-916-5400. Today's Sound Judgment Game is going to focus on a familiar name in Florida politics, Agriculture Commissioner Adam Putnam. He's a 43-year-old conservative Republican running for Florida governor and has already served several terms in Congress. But Putnam began his political career in the Florida legislature where he became the youngest person ever elected to the Florida House of Representatives. As you listen to some sound from Putnam's first ad for governor released yesterday, use your sound judgment to tell me how old Adam Putnam was when he was first elected to the Florida House. Florida's conservative leadership has created an environment where businesses can create jobs and families can prosper. Together we will put Florida first and make Florida the launch pad for the American dream. That's Adam Putnam now running for governor as a Republican. The question when he started his elective political career, how old was Adam Putnam when first elected to the Florida House of Representatives. You just got to pull a number out of thin air and maybe you'll get it. Let's go to line one. You're up line one. 2010. No, how old was he when he was first elected to the Florida House? 35. No, younger, my dear, younger. 407-916-5400. The Disney on Ice tickets and the Trump board game, you can get it. Call in 
Let's go to line two. How old was Putnam when he was first elected to the Florida House? 31. No, younger. A lot younger. Line three, you're next. 22. Yes. Wow. That's amazing when you think of it, isn't it? It really is. The guy's, been, a, the guy's been around forever, and he's only 43. He started out as the as a 22-year-old state representative. It's remarkable when you think about that. Did you pull that out of thin air? I thought you might have done a Google search. No, my wife happened to know that one. How about that? I hope she gets to go to Disney on Ice and play the Trump board game with you. Well, we look forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. I hope you're excited about being our Sound Judgment winner. Absolutely. My favorite show of the day is uh, Listen to the Bud Man. Well, thank you and the rest of the gang here. And we got a great great team, and it's great having you on the 50,000-watt front porch. Along with the prizes, I'd like to slip you a note of congratulations if you'd be kind enough to tell me your first name. It's Ken. Where are you calling in from? Orlando. Good deal. You're off to a good start on a Tuesday, right? Oh, can't get any better. <laughs> Ken, thank you. <laughs> you and Stephanie are going to have a conversation to make it sure we get these prizes to go where they need to be. All right, my friend? Thanks, bud. Have a great day. And you too as well. We do so appreciate you. Yaffe, it's incredible to think that he was in the Florida House at 22. He was in Congress at 26. It makes me feel like an underachiever, bud. Me that too. he's able to do that so young. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when of. When I was 22, I, there when, was no way. When I put this together, I said, you know, I didn't amount oh, to much on. at 22. I know. I was a part-time weekend staff announcer <laughs> at a station in Syracuse, New York, and this guy's in the Florida legislature at 22. Ah, amazing. Okay, um, coming up, we have... The Rush Morning Update. But before that... Good morning, Orlando. Delighted to have you with us here on the 50,000 Watt Front Porch. Looks like it's going to be a great day. Boy, we're sure getting into the tropical soup, though, aren't we, with these downpours every afternoon. We'll see what today holds. We'll see what hour number three holds, and I can tell you it's very good. You're going to get up to date with our amazing News Radio 1025 National Correspondent, Bill Zimfer, one of the really best in the business on the deadly Toronto um, van attack. And he's also going to be talking about the arrest of the uh, Waffle House killer outside Nashville, Tennessee. Lots of information there, and Bill's the best, and he'll join us, uh, and a whole lot more as well. Of course, we kick off hour number three with Deborah Roberts, my co-host and partner on the 50,000-watt front porch, updating us all on the news, setting the table for Bill's reporting on the uh, deadly Toronto van attack, and also reporting on the Robert half-staffing firm talking jobs and grads. That's a mystery to me, perhaps to you. And uh, the Debmeister reveals all. It's all coming up. And good morning to you at 7.59 now. Good morning, Orlando. Great to have you with us on a Tuesday morning off the top of the 8 o'clock hours. We bring you the very latest we have on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning 10 are dead in a Toronto van attack. And the Robert Hall staffing firm talks jobs and grads. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. And after Deb brings us the news, we'll have a live report on the Toronto van attack and the arrest of the Waffle House killer this hour of Good Morning Orlando. 
Good Tuesday morning. It's 8.03 on News Radio 102.5. There's no word about why a man drove a rental van down the sidewalk along one of the busiest streets in Canada, killing at least 10 people. Police arrested the 25-year-old driver after the attack on Young Street in Toronto yesterday afternoon. Dr. Dan Cass of Sunnybrook Hospital praised the actions of his staff. The circumstances certainly are, are unprecedented, and I think uh, I think it's a situation that we all we all prepare for. And as a regional trauma center, uh, we practice, we drill for code orange procedures, and our teams were prepared. More than a dozen other people were injured. Witnesses say it looked like the man was trying to run down people as he drove 30 to 45 miles an hour on the sidewalk. One official, however, said the attack is not connected to national security. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. The Gilchrist County Sheriff's Office says a funeral procession honoring two fallen deputies will be one of the largest Florida has ever seen. Funeral services for Sergeant Noel Ramirez and Deputy Taylor Lindsay will be held today in Bell, followed by the escort and burial in Bronson. Governor Rick Scott has ordered that U.S. and state of Florida flags be flown at half-staff at the Sheriff's Office, County Courthouse, and City Hall in Trenton. Ramirez and Lindsay were shot and killed last Thursday at a Chinese restaurant in Trenton by a gunman who then killed himself. Former President George H.W. Bush is said to be responding to treatment for an infection that spread to his blood. A statement from the 41st president spokesman says Bush was admitted to Houston Methodist Hospital Sunday morning and is in the intensive care unit. The 93-year-old former president had just attended his wife Barbara's funeral on Saturday. You know, it's amazing how 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 an incredible he is. I mean, how heartbroken he is. That could be a factor in his sudden decline in health and these problems. He shook the hands of people coming in off the street for the public viewing for hour after hour after hour in his wheelchair. I mean, you know, wherever you are in the politics of the Bush family, what a man. Yeah, and the fact that he wore socks with books on them to honor his his late wife's love of literacy. Yeah, and what a couple for 73 years. They really are. In the meantime, Arizona Senator John McCain's wife says the 81-year-old Republican is out of the hospital. Cindy McCain tweeted yesterday that they're back at their home in the mountains north of Phoenix. The six-term senator was recovering from surgery for an intestinal infection at the Mayo Clinic. McCain has been in Arizona since December while being treated for brain cancer. There's a new crop of graduates about to hit the bricks looking for work, and one representative of a staffing firm has some suggestions. Noel Teal with Robert Half in Orlando says you can't underestimate the power of a mentor. I think it's really important to have mentors. It's definitely important to work with specialized recruiters who know the industry in those towns really well. That can open the doors to, to potentially companies you've never heard of that are outstanding places to work. Yeah, he says it's a good idea to be realistic about salaries as well and understand that your dream job may not be the one you take to pay the bills right away. And finally, Beyonce's recent $100,000 donation to historically black colleges and universities, including Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona Beach, is inspiring a matching donation from Google. The company announced yesterday that it's giving $25,000 each to Morehouse College and Texas Southern, Fisk, and Grambling State Universities. Beyonce's original donation was part of her Be Good initiative, which helps sick children, the unemployed, and the homeless it went to Bethune-Cookman along with Xavier, Wilberforce, and Tuskegee Universities. Very nice. Yeah, that is. WFLA News Time, it's 8.06, and you can read about a dog staying with a lost three-year-old overnight and then leading rescuers straight to her. And no, the dog is not named Lassie. But get the details uh, nonetheless at 1025WFLA.com. The third hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. News, weather, traffic. 
This is Good Morning Orlando on News Radio 1025. And alongside the Deb Meister, the Bud Man, greeting you from the Front Gate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. Stay tuned for your shot at winning your share of $880,000 in cash in our Make Your Wallet Great Again texting contest coming right up. Listen for the new keyword of the hour, then text that word to 200-200. And just like a recent winner in Volusia County, you could be our next $1,000 winner. We'll have an update on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic here in two minutes, and then a live report on the... Um, the Toronto van attack, and also the arrest of the Waffle House killer. It is all ahead on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Two mass killings still making headlines, and in the aftermath, we want to make sure you have the very, very latest information. Um, we're talking about the deadly van attack up in Toronto, Canada yesterday, and the arrest yesterday, and this almost happened simultaneously with the first word in the van attack in Toronto, of the Waffle House killer just outside Nashville, Tennessee, working both stories for us. Uh, let's bring in our News Radio 1025 national correspondent, Bill Zimfer. Bill, good Tuesday morning to you, my friend. Good morning, bud. Start with either one and tell us what you know. Well, uh, let's start in Tennessee with the Waffle House shootings. Travis Reinking is in custody after a manhunt of more than 30 hours. He was located in the woods near his apartment complex after a tip. Uh, was given to police that a man was seen entering that wooded area, gave up without confrontation, even though he did have a 45 caliber handgun. So he is in custody and will face charges in the killings of four people and injuring uh, two other people. The questions here, uh, we're back to the old mental health issue, because right. Ryan King has a long history of mental health incidents, including an arrest at the White House last summer. Also, just days before this shooting, he stole a car from a car dealership, uh, and, uh, and somehow he was still able to have guns, uh, had a firearm permit from his home state of Illinois, and even though those guns were ordered taken away from him and were signed over to his father, the father subsequently gave the guns back to him him. Cannot so, imagine what his dad was thinking, and it included the AR-15 that was used at the Waffle House, right? Th that's correct. Uh, that firearm was included in that. We do not know what the father was thinking. He has admitted to giving the guns back to him. Uh, we have no indication of a reason for that right now. Let me but, ask you, Bill, um, the ATF, the last I was reading, correct me if I'm wrong, um, are indicating that the father may face some federal charges for doing that because the gun rights had been suspended, and if he knowingly gave guns back to somebody in that condition, and I assume he would know that was the situation with his son, he's got some legal problems. Absolutely. Uh, federal charges could be filed against the father for the transfer of those firearms to someone who should not have them. Uh, in the state of Illinois, it's interesting, bud, they say no state laws were violated because Illinois law does bar those adjudicated as mentally defective from obtaining a firearms license. Problem is that Travis Reinking never went through that adjudication process. So even though he has a history of mental health, he never went through that process, and he himself was able to obtain uh, that firearms license in Illinois. But federal charges could be pending against the father. Motive still unknown in Tennessee? Well, uh, in Tennessee, uh, hey. Uh, you know, they don't the know why he did this in the Waffle House? Even though, even though uh, you know, he has the, the history of mental health issues yeah. and has gone through some delusional uh, periods, uh, you know, uh, it's still elusive. There is no concrete yeah. type, of, um, type of motive for this. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and uh, in the Toronto van attack, 
couple of things in common, no motive known either, and both of these people have been taken alive. So we have at least a chance to get to the bottom of this and get some answers long term. Let's talk about Toronto. What do we know? More questions up there, because the young man involved there, while there are some hints that he may have had mental health issues, uh, this is one that is right out of the playbook of terrorist organizations. A rented vehicle used to mow down people. Happened in New York City. Happened in Barcelona. Happened in France. Uh, But in this case, right now, there is no connection to a terror organization. Officials in Canada say there is no national security connection at this point. Uh, All we have that may give us a hint here, Bud, is a, a vague Facebook post that has yet to be confirmed as legitimate, but it mentions Elliot Roger, the 22-year-old who went on a California rampage killing six people in 2014 because women had turned down his advances. Not sure if there's a connection there yet, but as you said, uh, Alec Manassian will be in court today. He is alive. They'll have a chance to question him. Okay, fair enough. Um, Any closing thoughts on both these stories? You're staying on top for us, uh, Bill, this morning? Well, just in Toronto, uh, the actions of the police, of course, under scrutiny, tremendous restraint uh, by the Toronto police officer who recognized that uh, the young man did not have an actual firearm. And uh, and even though it, it, it really went to a point where it looked like it was going to be a suicide by police, where the young man was daring them to shoot him, right. uh, they held off and were able to talk him down to the sidewalk and able to cuff him that way. Tremendous restraint, tremendous training on the part of Toronto police. I think that we can say for sure. Much more information still to come, but that's the very latest from News Radio 1025 National Correspondent uh, Bill Zimfer. Bill, thank you so much. Catch you next time around. You're welcome, bud. Thanks. Good deal. Um, Sky in Toronto, Alec Manassian is his name, lives in the area. Looks kind of like a Middle Eastern guy, but I can tell you before you think this guy has radical Islamic terrorist roots and came over from one of those unvettable, largely Muslim countries uh, in that part of the world, I can tell you these from Armenia. At least it's an Armenian name. His roots would be there with Manassian, and I have been reading. Uh, but that is an almost exclusively Christian nation that was a part of the old Soviet Union has a long Christian history, almost no Muslims in it, just FYI. We don't know how this is going to play out, but it's very interesting that the politics in play in um, in Canada are such that they are twisting themselves in knots to not call this what it is. It is a terrorist attack, whether it is connected to al-Qaeda, ISIS, any other arm of radical Islam or not, it is a terrorist attack. We referred to the Oklahoma City bombing in the mid-1990s that killed nearly 170 people at the Murrah office building. You remember that in Oklahoma City? That was always called an act of domestic terrorism. That's exactly at the least what that is in Canada. They don't want to say it because the political leaders don't want it to seem like, my goodness, we can't keep the people safe, elect somebody else. You know, they're just panic-stricken over the idea of conceding the point that this was terrorism, Yaffe. You know, it's kind of like the Benghazi thing with Obama when you think about it. Remember, they didn't want to admit that was terrorism? Yes. They wanted it was just a spontaneous protest, and everyone thought, for political reasons, he didn't want to admit that. Absolutely right. Maybe the same type thing here. Well, I think it is, and I think it can be political dynamite. There's no question about it, but for God's sakes, tell the people the truth and don't insult our intelligence. Yeah, I mean, what are they calling it then? What else do you call it? 
An act of senseless violence is what one official called it in Canada. Well, of course, it's that, no. but it's more. Yeah. <laughs> it's more. Anyway. Maybe it has go. to do with motive. Maybe that's why, because we don't know the motive. No, that we might don't be seem to. That maybe you can't call it terrorism until you absolutely know the motive. I don't know. Well, no, I, I, th- I think you can. I think you can. You know, I mean, it, it's very clear he was targeting people. It isn't like he had some kind of a seizure, some kind of an episode here, you know, where he just physically lost control and can't be responsible for his actions or anything. He terrorized innocent people. He just decided to kill a bunch of strangers. Yeah. I, I think then in a civilized society, that's a terrorist attack. Okay? Whether okay. it's radical Islam or not. Interesting that we have both suspects taken alive in the mass killings in Tennessee at the Waffle House and up there. Right. And, and that doesn't always happen. It happened in Parkland. And there are times when we do have somebody survive all of this. But a lot of times they either kill themselves or the cops kill them. Well, here we have an opportunity you know, to get in these guys' faces and find out what they're all about and really get some answers we might not otherwise ever right. get, right? Yeah, exactly. Hopefully yeah. we do find some answers. Yeah, and we'll stay on those stories big time. Bottom of the hour right now, the Debmeister checking in with another news update. And if you're just joining us, we do have 10 dead in that Toronto van attack. And uh, Deborah Roberts is going to give you the very latest chapter and verse that we have. And listen to this story. I can't wait to find out the details on this from Deb who tells me that a 65-year-old woman has had a pet tortoise for 56 years. Interesting story, I'm sure, as only the Debmeister can relate it. Coming right up, it's Good Morning Orlando from the Frontgate Realty Studio. Visit laurahasthebuyers.com. And good morning to you. Welcome aboard at 829. News at the bottom of the hour. Deborah Roberts joining us once again, and especially for those of you who are just... uh, Coming on board here in the 50,000-watt front porch in the wake of that horrendous van attack in Toronto. What's the latest, Deb? Well, that van attack in Toronto left several people dead. The official count that we have right now, uh, unfortunately, uh, we have uh, 10 people that have succumbed to their injuries, and we have 15 that are in various hospitals across the city. The attack happened on a busy street yesterday afternoon. Over a dozen others were hurt in the attack. Police were able to arrest the driver who has been identified as 25-year-old Alec Manassian. Police Chief Mark Saunders said he was taken into custody without incident. So far, police haven't said what Manassian's motive might have been. One official, however, did assure people that the attack is not connected to national security. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. Jenna Smith of Minnesota first brought George the gopher tortoise tortoise home when she was only 10 years old. And that's a long time ago. Now, at 65, she's celebrating 56 years of friendship with him. 56 years. Smith was gifted the young tortoise by the Milwaukee County Zoo at her 10th birthday party in 1962. Amazing. When she was younger, he'd ride in her bicycle basket or tag along on family vacations to Lake Michigan. And they even dressed up in matching bee costumes for Halloween. Jenna and her husband, Kirby, have had five Labrador retrievers. George has outlived them all. But George has certainly given the Smiths a scare or two in the past, most notably when he escaped after burrowing under a fence in 1988. According to Care TV, kids in the neighborhood and even a TV news crew 
showed up to help with the search for George the gopher tortoise. These gopher tortoises, they can burrow like nothing else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what <laughs> they, they do. They'll get under any fence you've got. Yep. Well, gopher tortoises can typically live up to 80 years in the wild, but in captivity, their lifespan could stretch well past 100 years. That's according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. She might have to find a retirement home for George the I gopher tortoise. I was just thinking about that. You know, if I ever get a chance to sit down and talk with the good Lord Almighty when my time comes, okay? I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, it, he's, I, I'm not here to be critical, but it seems to me that it would be better for us if the dogs lived as long as the turtles and the turtles lived as long as the dogs. You know, I'm with you on that you know, one. That's I mean, one of I, my big questions, too. It's none of my business, and, 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 you know, he created it all, but gee whiz, wouldn't you love to have Lex be able to live oh. 50 years? Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah, I know. In a heartbeat, yeah. absolutely. But not to be. Not to be, unfortunately. And, uh, well, if Spiro, Mike Yaffe's cat, or Lex, my dog, were thinking about copyright and selfies, I have some bad news for them. A federal appeals court is ruling that a monkey indeed cannot sue for copyright infringement on his selfie. We thought the story was dead, but it's not. <laughs> the ruling comes after photographer David Slater set up his camera in an Indonesian forest in Naruto. A crested macaque monkey took photos of himself. We've all seen the toothy grin of Naruto. Right. Well, PETA sued after Slater published those pictures, claiming that Naruto's copyright was infringed since he is the one who took the photos. The animal rights Gang oh, from you're, PETA? You're, your favorite. They make me crazy. Your favorite. They you sued over so, this? Yes, you love them so much. Oh. Initially, the lawsuit was dismissed after the court ruled that a monkey lacks the standing to sue. But undeterred, PETA appealed, saying the U.S. Copyright Act doesn't say the author of the work has to be human. Well, yesterday, Circuit Judge Carlos Baez said, quote, We conclude that this monkey and all animals, since they are not human lack statutory standing under the Copyright Act. We therefore affirm the judgment of the district court. PETA wins. PETA loses. PETA loses. PETA loses. And I just made the Bud Man's day. Thank you very much. You're welcome. The Debmeister, (laughs) the one and only. Have a good one, Deb. You too, Bud Man. All right, good deal. All right, conservatives, you ready for some fun and games? And a couple of laughs along the way at the expense of these liberal college kids? Conservative campus reform sent one of their reporters to play gotcha with clueless anti-Trump college kids from Southern California. Plenty of them out there, right? They're opposed, the ones that were interviewed, to President Trump sending troops to the Mexican border. Well, just because, you know, they're indoctrinated by their anti-Trump liberal professors, their parents, their friends. And, And they can no longer think for themselves, nor do they choose to. So let's listen closely together for a couple of minutes, and I want you to really wait for the moment when the reporter tells him that their liberal hero, President Obama, also sent troops to the border. Whoops! Today we're at UC Santa Barbara talking to students about President Trump's recent decision to send troops to the southern border. And will their opinions on that move change when they find out President Obama actually did the same thing a few years ago? Let's find out. I feel like it's not justified, mostly because, like, it is, like, an, a totally uncalled-for act of power. Definitely disapprove. I don't know. I think 
it just puts a bad light on America. Not productive. I'm not a huge fan of the military to begin with. We're spending way too much money on that. I think it would be a complete waste of money. It, it's not projected correctly, so it's not, it's not resonating well with me, at least. Where do you I've, draw the line? <laughs> yeah. On who can be here or not, basically. Yeah. At a border, I think most people would say. Maybe, but like, uh, I don't think it's good to send, you know, militarized troops to people who are coming in unarmed. Walls don't really like keep people out, and like, just think about it, like how many airplanes like are there? They're basically there to like, was it shoot to kill? Like, what's like? I don't want there to be any loss of life. Like that seems like the only goal here. Did you know that President Obama did the exact same thing when he was president? Like, here it comes. Honestly, I'm not super up to date with politics. I didn't know that, so I just Morons. think that we need to be so like compassionate toward other people, and it's definitely not Ahama, what Ahama, he's Ahama. putting forward. And did you know President Obama did the same move? He also sent a few thousand troops to the border. I did not know that. Is that surprising? I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. I would say, yeah, that's kind of surprising. It sounded like you're opposed to that when President Trump did it. Were you opposed to it when President Obama did it though? Um, when President Obama did it, I felt that there was. I suppose different coverage as to what the intentions were. I don't know anything about that personally. So the difference is definitely with publicity and like false information. So I guess I would have to read up more about the Cranking intentions the behind BS. Trump's Knees versus buckling. the intentions behind okay. Obama. I think it's a positive move. I think honestly it, it has precedent. Obama did the same thing back in I think it was 2012. So I think there's nothing unconstitutional about it. And I think that the state governments need to make sure that they're not acting in opposition to the federal government. They found one student with half a brain out at UC Santa Barbara, California. But that last guy, yeah, if you look at the video, looks more like a professor to me than a I student. I thought the same thing. Looks, I was like, is that a professor? That guy's that... not like 19 years yeah. old. You he know? might be an older student. Maybe yeah. that's it. He actually had it right. He was cool, calm, and collected. and didn't know what the, the heck he was talking of, about. The rest of them were just a bunch of kids. It's unbelievable. Ignorant. Kids, so, was so totally indoctrinated, you know, just absolutely drowning in the liberal soup, you know, and the garbage they get preached by the profs there. If you want to get a decent grade, you got to, you got to, you know, got to knuckle under that. It's going on in academia all the time. But it was great to see campus reform just bust them like that. You know, Priceless. I bet it goes beyond students, though. I bet there's a lot of anti-Trump people that I had no idea that Obama basically did the same thing. Probably a few I'm listening right now <laughs> who are going, uh, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, hama, hama, hama. Uh, give me a break. Stephanie's laughing her head off over there. You know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, if you want to react to that, 407-916-5400. Was that a thing of beauty? It was in our world. 407-916-5400. Or were you liberals just absolutely offended that we would run such a thing here on Good Morning Orlando? 407-916-5400, text line 23680, where standard message and data rates apply. I mean, everything that, that came out of Barbara Bush's funeral just solidified um, what has been reported for so, so many years. What a genuine love affair between George H.W and Barbara Bush. They were married for 73 years, longer than any presidential couple. And he always wrote her love letters, and, and you could see how heartbroken he was. at her. She, he held her hand the entire long day as she slipped away um, last Tuesday 
in uh, at home at age 92. She chose to take no more medical treatment for repeated problems, and she just went to be with the Lord, even though she hated to to leave George. And you could see how heartbroken he was at the funeral, and he shook hands with everybody who came by at the public viewing. It was quite an ordeal for a man in his condition at 93 with a form of Parkinson's that has him in a wheelchair. Um, I think there's real truth, Yaffe, and well chronicled to the fact that and when you have a loving couple like that and one goes after such a long life that the other can die very quickly of a broken heart. That's something you really, I don't think, can diagnose medically. Yeah. But I think that's probably a factor in in the sudden um, decline in health from Bush 41. We certainly wish him well, whatever his wishes are. We hope that the Lord will grant them. Yeah, we hear stories about that all the time, yeah. about mm-hmm. one after the other at such a, a yeah. an older age. Um, but yeah, I wish him well. I hope yeah, he gets better. Absolutely. And I asked Steph to, we work Steph just like a dog in there. You know, when she thinks she's going to come in her screen, a couple of phone calls, pick up a big paycheck, you know, it ain't happening. Okay. We work her. I, she's bringing me news updates all the time, doing research for me to make me sound smarter than I am. <laughs> and I asked her, I says, what is this I'm seeing on Fox? There's this Canada goose terrorizing and attacking this golfer. <laughs> yeah. Give me the story, because I can't have the sound up on the monitor here in the studio, or you'd hear it during the show. So, yeah, all we saw was pictures. This Canada goose <laughs> attacked this high school golfer up in Michigan. He was competing in a tournament up there. and um, Geese. Well, and apparently there was a nest of Canada geese, okay? <laughs> On one side of the fairway, and there was a Canada goose who was standing guard and didn't like the golfers, considered them a threat, and decided to take it out on this kid. And and they had this kid down. They had him up. The goose had him upside down. I know. The pictures are crazy. Go look them up, people. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Now, he apparently turned out all right. He was unhurt except for his pride. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, I've never. Have you ever seen I, anything like this? That, that we're talking about, you know, the van attack. I think that's terrorism up there in Canada. This is another form of Canadian terrorism here. Yeah. At the hands of this I, Canada these, goose. These, these I hear that geese are pretty vicious. That geese like this are pretty vicious. But I've never seen pictures like that. I mean, they back, they practically knocked him down upside down. Yeah. This one, this one goose. It's amazing. I, I have I have some respect for that goose though. For yeah. protecting his family yeah. and stuff, yeah, willing he, to do what it takes. Yeah, you just gave yourself an assignment. Find a video and post it on the website, 1025WFLA.com, along with every yeah, information know if there about is the show, right? I think there is video. There has to be is video there? around. I don't know. I think these are all still shots. Looks like yeah, they're I kept seeing. I kept seeing still shots. Yeah, we got, we got everything on there. We've been talking about so many important things this morning. And you can go to the website and catch up with the entire show, right, Yaffe? Yeah, 1025WFLA.com, keyword Budman, and I put a recap and the podcast up every day. All right. So, yeah, he's working hard, all right? You know, so go check out what he does. He ties the whole show yeah, together. Exactly. Right? right. I want my work to pay off. Absolutely. That's, that's right. So it's not going to pay off unless you look. Go take a look on the website right now. Lots there. And, hey, for Yaffe, for Deb, for Steph, who's working much too hard, she tells me. The Bud Man, thank you. Have a great day. God bless you and God bless America.